0: All right. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? That's a hard question to answer from up here. Just thought I'd ask. It's always fun. Get some interaction. Uh, my name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Salem. So if we've never gotten a chance to meet, I would love uh, the opportunity to meet you after service. I'll try and hop out to the, to the front and, and we can connect and you know share stories. So uh, so glad you guys are here. If you're online, online, uh, thanks for joining us as, as well. Uh, no matter where you are, we're a super valuable uh, member. And uh, of Salem. So uh, we're going to dive back into the book of Acts uh, again uh, this morning. So it's going to be an exciting, I think, fun time. This is a really significant and important uh, and yet uh, kind of strange text that we're going to dive into. Uh, But to start it off, I just want to just share a story. Um, Many, many years ago, uh, I was um, boarding a plane. So if you don't know, um, we're part of the denomination called the, the EFCA, which is the Evangelical Free Church of America. I was on my way to uh, a national meeting, uh, and so I was hopping on this plane, and, and I was assigned, I was in row 17, uh, I, think, I think seat D, I can't remember, but it's whatever it is, it's the one next to the window, okay? It's right next to the window. And, uh, you know, whenever you get on a plane, you're always hoping that there's really nobody next to you, right? Um, and yet there's these two guys. They came and sat next to me. And so I was kind of crammed in the corners. It's always that love-hate relationship. You love the window because you can lay your head on something as opposed to a person, which is always weird, um, and, uh, which I don't, I've never done. Um, but then the window. But then you can't really get out. And so, like, here I am tucked in this corner. And uh, we're waiting to take off. And there seems to be this delay. And I'm like, man, what in the world is going on? You know, like, why have we not left yet? And so this guy, a very official looking guy in his, you know, I don't even know, like some type of a suit slash vest thing he gets on and and he says, you know, with his best voice, he says, attention, uh, everybody, I need uh, seven people uh, from row eight, uh, 17 and row 21 to move to the front of the plane. And I thought, oh that's that's appealing. Go to the front of the plane? Like you gotta go get out quicker and easier. That sounds great. And so like I thought, well maybe these guys will go and I can follow and and you know, I kinda just, you know, wiggle my butt and you know, kinda look over to the side and, and I see like these guys are just like like, they're, like, they won't even look at the guy, you know? It's like, I know you can hear, the, I know you can hear him, um, and there's nothing. And so uh, eventually, you know, these people from row 21, they all move to the front, because it's like, row 11 versus row 21, like, I'm in, you know? And so they move to the front, and we think that this is all done, it's good, we're going to move on, and here goes the plane. The guy gets back on, he goes, great, thank you so much. Uh, now what we need is four people from rows 17 and row 18 to move to row 25. And I was like, what? Like, as if the front seats wasn't going to sell people. Row 25's not going to sell for these guys. You know, they're, if they're not going to choose to go forward, they're definitely not going to choose to go backwards. And so I looked to the left, and these guys were like, mm-mm. Like, like like nothing, like nothing. And so like here we are, like we're waiting and then like a couple of people from one row move, but like, n- like nobody else will move. And, and at one point, like I'm trying to almost kind of get out and they like, they won't even let me get out. I'm like, this is weird. This is kind of strange. Um, and so we just sit there. I'm like, I'm like hands up in the air. Like, what do I do? You know, these guys are big. They're much bigger than me. Um, and then the guy gets back on the, on, the, on the microphone and he says this, I kid you not, like he, his, his tone changes. And he goes, I don't think... You understand, which then you take it personally because immediately it goes from everybody to me. Like you is personal to me. You know, I'm in row 17, and he goes, "We have a weight balance issue." And I was like, "Excuse me," you know, (laughs) like I'm contributing to a problem. Like this is a big problem. You know, this is a major problem. Apparently, he's like, "This plane is not going." He like he and he uses his hands. He's like, "Is it like as if you don't know how a plane works?" You know, he's like. This plane isn't going anywhere until four people from row 18 and 17 move to row 25. And so I'm like, oh my goodness. So like you can like, it's like people in the back, I'm like, I am looking around, like pretending it's not me, and there's people like 13, 14, you. You right there. You're in 17, and it's, you know you kind of put your head down, and it's like this awkward silence begins to build because nobody will move, <laughs> and it's so weird. It was so bizarre, and so finally I got up and I like I had to like shove my way through, and I look back and these guys are just like unflinching, and it was it was this bizarre moment, and I remember thinking like to myself, I was like 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 what just happened? Like we all are on a plane to go somewhere. We all want to go there, right? Unless they really didn't want to go, I'm like, you're you're somebody, a significant other has forced you to be on this plane, you know? Um, We all want to go, and there's this unwillingness to move. And I, you know, just to maybe over-spiritualize this for a second, because when I came out of that moment, and as I was thinking through it, I feel like there are times and moments in church, uh, or just like in our our own personal walk with Jesus, where, where God shows up and he's like, hey, Seth, man, I am so glad that you're on this plane, Like, we're about to take off, and we're going to go to great, amazing places, and it's going to be a great flight. It's going to be a great time once we're there, and we're going to do really, really good things. And I'm so glad that you're on this plane, but before we go, I need to know, are you in? Like, are you willing to move? Are you willing to be a participant in this? And do what I ask you to do. And there are so many times that like, I could pull out in my life, in my own history, and maybe you can too, because we're all sinful people, right? We're all broken. Pastors are people too. No, same struggles, right? And it's like we look God in the face and we're like, uh uh-uh. uh. You know, we have the audacity to do this, right? And what, what is interesting about the book of Acts, right, is that the book of Acts is a, like a plane where God is saying, man, we're going to. We're gonna we're gonna fly and we're gonna take this gospel to whole new lengths and it's gonna be a whole new element of the story. Are you in? Uh-uh. You know? And what we forget sometimes, I think in life, and maybe this is you, because I know that it was me at times, is I feel like we kind of get into this what we might call a church coma. And we come and we listen and we go home and then we come and we listen and then we go home. And it's like we're just riding on the plane. Right? And so I think there's there's this very there's this very powerful truth for us to remember that you and I as individuals and collectively as a church, we are on a gospel journey that started. In Acts 1a. And this is what we looked at last week. Here's what it says, right? Because this is Jesus, his final words recorded to his disciples before he goes and ascends into heaven. And he says this in verse 8, right? He says, But you, it's a very different kind of you, right? But you, makes it personal, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end. Of the earth. You see, I think that it's so easy for us to forget that 2,000 years later, this story that started right here is a story that's still continuing, right? And we're in this church coma because we've forgotten what it looks like to be witnesses. Like we come and we listen and we go home. We come and we listen and we go home, right? But there's this reality, guys, that you remember, like when Jesus ascends and goes into heaven, right, he kind of disappears into the cloud and the, and the disciples are just like, like in awe and wonder. And these angels, they show up and they say, guys, the story's not over. He's coming back in the same way that he left. But until then, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. And so I just, I just want us to think applicably for us, even right now, right here, like what, what happens in Salem? Like when we leave the doors, like when we go home and we think Monday to Saturday, whatever that looks like, myself included, myself included, what does it look like for us to be witnesses to Jesus? Witnesses, ultimately. To Jesus, guys, and this is a tremendously important text, uh, not only for the Book of Acts but really for the for the for the entire church, because again, it's setting up a pattern, some of the, these patterns for us to follow and to look at as we go throughout uh, this book. Uh, but it can be somewhat challenging uh, at, uh, in today's. It's going to be some strange things, some weird things, and so we'll talk about those and hopefully kind of clear clear the air on what Luke is talking about. But just in case um, for you, what we've created are these 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 booklets, right? Uh, and these are filled with passages, um, some historical context, questions, it has a space for you to take notes on your own at home before you even ever come to church, and it has space for you to take notes during these times, right, but it's designed to be a connection, a bridge for our weeks, and so um, if you didn't get one of these, um, raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you um, one of these, these are our gift to you, Uh, just remember too, these are expensive, so um, while we give you one free, uh, if you lose it in your car, you forget At home, you know, or something. Don't just like keep piling ten of these, you know, like in your in your car. You know, just bring it back. So if you want to use it. So um, we're gonna actually gonna be in on page ten in your booklet. It's got uh, the passage right here for us. Uh, We're gonna be in Acts chapter two, uh, verses. 1 through 13. So you can always go back to the resource wall back outside by the hub and grab some more and find some books to read and, and all that good stuff uh, as well. So uh, Acts chapter 2, what we're going to do is we're going to follow kind of the same, the same outline from last week. So if you were here last week, uh, it was Jesus, as he shows up, he says, here's the promise that I'm giving you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And then he says, there's going to be this plan, right? And so we see that. But what's going to happen is that both of those pieces are going to be fulfilled or at least started. In chapter Two, so we're looking at the the, the promise received and, and, the, and the, the plan as it begins to uh, unfold so here's where it says verse verse one uh, in which by the way we're going to go through these first four verses fairly slow and then we'll just kind of really breeze through those last verses. So uh, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So here, here we find the disciples. And you remember Jesus, his last command was to say to wait in Jerusalem. So we've got this group of say 120 people or so um, who are gathered together in a space uh, together being obedient uh, to, uh, to Jesus. And it says that the, the, the day of Pentecost has, has arrived. Okay, And so just to, just to pull this apart here, here for a second just to help you, um, because this is, a, this, is, this is a unique thing. The word arrived kind of carries with it this sense or this tone of a specific time that's being fulfilled. So it's kind of like it's referencing, the way I think about it is like God's timing, right? So God is, like God knows things that are going to happen in life that you and I don't know, and he knows exactly when they're going to happen. It's like there's this, even though not, God is not bound by time, He knows time, right? Because he's the creator of all things. And so as this is going, it's like he's counting down the ticker to this very moment, and he's going to go, boom, the time is now, right? And for us, on our end, we don't know when those moments are. We don't know how it's going to be revealed. We don't know how it's going to unfold, and we don't know when. And yet for God, he's like, boom, boom, boom. And for what, he, for what he does, the way that he reveals it, and what he's going to do, is it starts on this day Pentecost, okay? Now, we'll talk more about Pentecost here in, in a little bit. But here's what I can tell you right now. Pentecost, um, was it, you, Greek is the word penta for five, so it means to celebrate 50 days after, uh, the, after the Passover. So if I were just to come up over here um, for a moment and take my, my marker. If you remember way back when, so, so much of today, by the way, is rooted in the Old Testament, so we're gonna be referencing this, this a lot, okay? So um, down here, uh, you know, somewhere uh, in, in the land of Egypt, right, where there was a city, we don't know exactly what city, but at a time in Israel's history, there's this famine up in the Israel area, and so they have to gravitate and move down to Egypt where they, where they live and thrive for, for quite some time. In fact, they thrive so much, because under God's favor that they become massive right so big in numbers, so huge, this multiplication that, that this Pharaoh, the the, the new Pharaoh um, is fearful of them. he's scared of them. And so what God does is that he creates you know the Passover, the Passover thing, right? So you, you put blood on the door, doorstop and, and then the angel of death at the end of the 10 plagues and they're passed over. And so those who have the blood of the lamb are saved and, and then God you know, pushes them out and they go in this journey all the way over somewhere kind of down over here to this mountain uh, called Mount Sinai, right? Um, and traditionally speaking, um, they would say that it took about 50 days to make this trip out of Egypt from Passover to Pentecost, to the mountain. And so what they do is they would celebrate this festival and then 50 days later they would celebrate Pentecost. And what's fascinating about this, um, and this is kind of like a, like a small deep dive here, is that on the, on the mountain, what do they receive? You remember? They received the law, right? They received the law and what does Jesus say that they're going to receive soon? the Holy Spirit. Um, apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from the Holy Spirit, like the law does really no, no good in our life. And so what, what Luke is even pointing at as an author already is he's showing us like very subtly behind the text is that there's the law and there's the Holy Spirit. Both must be given, both most must, most must be received. And when those two things come together, the law that we have, the way that we know that God wants us to operate, and the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to even live that way, when those two things come together, it's like you and I, or, or the church, can live in the way that actually radically changes how we interact with the kingdom in the world around us if that makes sense, and so what he's he's pointing out is this idea of receiving the the Torah uh, as well as receiving uh, the Holy Spirit, Um, and interestingly, and I didn't draw this, but interestingly, this is a 50-day period, so if you turn this into like a time thing, right, Jesus is with them for 40 days, and then he leaves, and there's about this 10-day period where these 120 people have been gathered in this place, right, waiting, and they have no clue what's going to happen. Everything that's going to happen in this moment is unexpected, right? I mean, how many of you guys, like, I mean, like, you're, you're doing life and, you know, you're like, gosh, God, what are you up to? And then, and then, like, something happens. You're like, cool, cool. Yeah, I totally anticipated that. Like, come on. Like, you're so predictable. What God is going to do here is totally unexpected. And it starts, if you look at this in verse 2, it says, and suddenly... There came from heaven a sound... Like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they're sitting. Okay, so we'll get to the kind of that strange other stuff here in a second. But the word suddenly um, really starts with this. It really references back to that God time. It's like God is counting down the moments until the timer runs out. And when that timer runs out, it's as if God says, in this tiny little blip of a moment, I'm going to radically alter and change the course of events in history. And spoiler alert, here's what's going to happen. Is that you remember just previously, Jesus has what? He's lived, he's died, right? He was buried, he was resurrected, right? So everything that's necessary, these components for salvation, right? The sinless life and the atonement for sin, right? And the possibility of redemption and being remade, right? Uh, Into our right relationship with God. Everything that's right there is is readily available. And yet what God is going to do in Pentecost, in this moment, is he's going to take everything that Jesus accomplished accomplished, and he's going to make it mass consumable to the world. That's what's going to happen at Pentecost. And he chooses to do it on this day and in this moment. And when it says this suddenly, it's like he's shifting gears here. He's radically changing the course of events. He's going to take the gospel everywhere right? And it says that this came from heaven, which really just, I think, means it's Old Testament language. And so, as I read this and kind of wrestle through this, I think it's, it's Luke's way of saying that this is the same God in the Old Testament versus the same God of the New Testament. So, it's not like God A, God B, right? Okay, I'm done. Now, it's your turn, right? It's the same God. He's revealing and unfolding his plan from beginning to end, and yet there's in this sudden blip of a moment that he's going to change the course of history, Right, this radical transformation, and this change, and it comes in the form of this mighty rushing wind. How many of you guys have ever been in a windstorm? Of course you have. You live in North Dakota, right? Just easy, easy answer. When we lived in South, uh, in the South, and we had a couple of hurricanes come through, even though we're three, three hours inland, uh, we get these massive winds. right, and I'm just picturing in this moment, you're in a house that's surrounded by walls, right? And it's not like there's this this special doorway that's open for wind, you know? It's like they're in this house with walls and all of a sudden, there's this this wind just whirling suddenly. Can you imagine the shift? You're sitting talking with 120 people. Hey, Bob, how was your day? Like, how the change? How quickly it moves, and and the the astonishment, the fear, whatever it was in that moment, there's got to be this recognition, like, what's happening? There's this question. What's happening in this moment? Now, they don't know this, but but from Luke's perspective, as he writes this to us, he gives us some fun hints here, because the word for wind in Hebrew is the exact same word as, as as the word for spirit. Did you know that? It's the word ruach. So if you ever have something stuck in your throat, you can just practice that word and it will come right out, okay? Ruach. So it comes, comes out from right in the guttural, right down here. And it's the spirit and it's the wind, right? And so what we find is that when God, when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, right, it's like in this moment, the Holy Spirit is coming. And this, the, the word for, for bringing is this idea of carrying. So it's like the Holy Spirit is on his way to the party and guess what he's bringing? He's bringing himself, now, when we say that, we're narcissists. Hey, I'll be there, because I'm bringing, and I'm bringing myself. But when the Holy Spirit does it, it's super good for us. Because he says, I am coming to you, and I'm bringing me. I'm bringing what Jesus promised that we would bring. And it's in this moment that as the wind does it, it fills the entire house. It's incredible. It's an incredible moment right? And here's where it gets a little weird, right? Look at, uh, look at verse 3. It says, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Now, maybe this is your first time reading this. I remember the first time I read this, or maybe you've read this over and over and over, and you'd still say, um, like, could we just be honest and say, that sounds strange, right? That sounds strange. Like, as if wind entering into a home wasn't weird, um, which, I mean, I could kind of see that happening. But then out of that wind comes these little tongues of fire. And then it says it rests on them. And you go, like, man, like, what is happening here? Right? Okay, so we gotta jump back into the Old Testament to understand this, right? Because we're wrestling with these things that are rooted deeply in, in the Old Testament. And if you remember, fire in the Old Testament is the presence of who? Yahweh. It's the presence of Yahweh. Three things really come to my mind. The first one happens on this mountain. When Moses goes up the mountain to receive the law the first time, what does he find? A burning bush. Right? Another strange moment, isn't it? Like you come, like how many of you have walked across a bush and go, Man, it's burning, wait, but it's not being consumed. This is strange. And yet when God speaks to Moses in this moment, what does he say? He says, I want you to take off your shoes because the place that you're standing is holy. And so what's being revealed in this moment is that God desires relationships with his with his people. And yet there's this natural separation because God is holy and because we are sinful. And yeah, and so what God does, he says, gosh, guys, Moses and, and the rest of humanity, I am on a path and a pattern and a plan to make this right and to redeem humanity, and it's going to start with this invitation, I'm going to give you the law, okay? It's going to start there. It's going to start with the law, right? But we can't, we can't live that out perfectly right, without the Holy Spirit, right? No matter how hard you try, you cannot nor never will fulfill the law or the Ten Commandments. It's impossible because of our sinful nature, right? But then we move forward. We move forward from from that, and we find once they travel on their way to Jerusalem—actually, I could probably draw this out, right? As they're traveling on their way to Jerusalem, right, they're traveling through the wilderness, and they're led by what? Fire, a pillar of fire, right? And so God's presence is there. And so as they would have seen the flame show up and rest on us or rest on them, right, in part what that's communicating is this reminder of the pillar. And so it's this idea, right, that, that when God led us through the wilderness, he was present and he was leading. And so whatever journey we are on right now and wherever we are going in this New Testament church, it's also this idea that God is present and he is leading. Okay? But here's where it, it kind of goes from here, and they travel up, and they finally get to Jerusalem right in here, and what do they build? They finally build a temple, a house for the Lord. What does God do? He fills it. Does this is starting to sound familiar? He fills the entire place with his presence represented by fire, Right? This is fascinating, okay? So it starts here, and it comes along the way, and then fire is the ultimate. It shows the presence. Here's what's so fundamentally important that you cannot miss. What's happening in this moment when the Holy Spirit rests on them, these these tongues of flame, what what Luke is communicating, what God intends for us to understand in this moment is that the personal presence of God is now shifting outside of a building and now it's going to rest in you and me. Think about that for a moment and pause. Think about that. The presence of God put inside of you and me in the power of the Holy Spirit. They're filled. It's like, it's like when God fills the room, he fills the people with his spirit and guys and we we think about this and we we tend to overlook this because sometimes i think in life it's like you know maybe for for people who are super well versed in the bible and really good at studying but for most people i think that we talk about we say tell me about god the father okay i can tell you uh here's a few things tell me about jesus well i know him the most about him let me tell you about jesus and it's like tell me about the holy spirit and it's like yeah uh question mark right because he's kind of forgotten in many ways Right? And he's hard to pinpoint, and sometimes we hold him at, at arm's length because we're fearful of some of the other realities in this world, right? And so the reality is, is that we look at this and we go, okay, like, I need to understand a little bit more about the Spirit, especially when it comes to this, because here's why, right? Because we, this is, this is very much, in my opinion, is very much like a group of people who grow up with technology. Like, I'm on the forefront of it, so the only thing that certain people have known is life with cell phones, and that's not a bad thing. Thing, right? But that's kind of the way that we are with the Holy Spirit, because we are 2,000 re- years removed from the, from the Jesus moment, right, when the Spirit came. So we don't know what life was like before the Spirit was available to everybody. But if you go all the way back to Genesis, you find that as a part of the creation story, the Spirit is hovering over the waters, And then chaos and brokenness and sin enters into the world, and it's major bad. And then later on, as God says, I want to build a place for me to reside on earth, it says that the Spirit empowered certain individuals. And in so doing, he gave them the ability and the understanding to build what God required. But that was for a specific task and for a specific time. After that, it was done. And so the Spirit is removed. So for thousands and thousands of years, God's law to them is, here's the law, by the way, you're not going to be able to fulfill it the way that you need to until the Holy Spirit comes. And so Joel, which you'll read about next week, points us to this this passage in Joel where he says, by the way, guys, there will come a day when I will pour out my Spirit on every single person. God's presence that used to reside here Right? In this temple, which by the way, in the most holy place, right, you could only enter in here one person, one time a year on the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and it was the high priest. Anybody else, you enter into that space, you're automatically cut down. Right? This is a scary thing. And what God then says, though, here's part of the promise is that I'm going to take this separation where we were separated from the very beginning, right here, because I'm holy and you are sinful, and I'm going to remove the gap and I'm going to put myself right inside your very being. That's so, so, so powerful. Every single person. And we overlook it because we don't realize in how important the Holy Spirit actually is to fulfilling the plan. And here's the deal. Part of what I think that Luke is getting at here is that in the Old Testament with the tabernacle is God filled the people. As he filled the people to be able to build the tabernacle, to build the temple, right? The same thing is happening right now. Because with the giving of the Holy Spirit, guess what? We become the new temple, We are the new temple. We've been given that. Inside of you and me is God's personal presence. But the the task that we've been given is that now we are temple builders. Because everywhere we go, we carry with us this gospel, life-changing good news. And so when we share that, it builds the temple over and over and over again. Right? And the result here is it says that they began speaking in tongues. And you go, man, like I don't understand that. What is it talking about? If you remember in First Corinthians, there's some stuff about speaking in tongues. Just lay that aside because that's not it. This is something totally different. He's saying that God has given them the ability to speak another language. He's given them the ability to speak another language. And we'll see that really quick here in a second. But I want to just ask this question, right? Because it leaves us asking the question, why? Like, how many times in life do you just kind of pull back? You know, and maybe there's something going on in your life right now. It's just collective, whatever it is. But you go, God, I just, I'm curious. Like, what, what are you up to? Because when I read this, I go, this is so bizarre. What are you doing? Like, what is it that, I mean, I see what you're doing, but how are you going to unfold this plan, and how are you going to do that? I think that for us, that just happens all of the time, like, and it just happens in big ways, and happens in really small ways, that we enter into life, and we're like, man, God, I just don't understand what you're doing. Maybe it's really, really cool. Like, I don't know how many people I've talked to in the last week who've said, I met this person uh, at the grocery store, and they know this person. And, and then I and then somebody else, well, I know this person, and, they, and it's like the walls of the church are coming together with people they've never met, and it's kind of like you're asking this question, God, what are you up to? Why are you doing this? What are you about to unfold? And, and we'll see next week that we need to learn how to expect the unexpected, <laughs> as, as, as weird as that is, because God is up to something in the world. And so here's how he shifts, and we'll go through this part really fast, but look at verse 5. It says now. This is a change. This is like a change in narrative. It goes from this really crazy event, these people who are speaking in tongues, and then it's like, now that we're dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And you read that, and you're like, well, duh, duh, there's Jews living in Jerusalem. But wait, I'm curious, huh? Like, how does that make sense? If they represent every single nation, like, like what's going on here? Okay, here's what's going on. If you remember, back in the Old Testament again, right, is that after they're in Jerusalem for a while, sin really catches up to them. And so what does God do? We study this in Jeremiah. He sends them into exile and they end up going all over the place in the known world. And eventually some of those people come back and live in Jerusalem, but many of them don't. And so out in the world, the known world, you have all of these places where people are living, and some of them are devout Jews. Some of them are not, but some of them are. And here's why that's significant, because three times a year in Jerusalem, there were required festivals. If you wanted to keep practicing your Judaism, you had to come during Passover, during Pentecost, and Succoth, right? These three these three festivals. And so what you end up finding is that all of these people from the known world are traveling to Jerusalem, every single one of these places down here, Egypt, down here, part of Libya. And by the way, if you're playing one of those games, like who traveled the furthest, Wow, that was bad. (laughs) Cat cat scratching on the thing, right? People from Rome all the way here. Right there. And this is Jerusalem at Pentecost. It would swell from 40,000 people to 500,000 people. Because devout Jews who say Jesus, or who say that Judaism is significant and important to my life would travel, they would make it, and they would come right here. And so in the moment that the, the disciples begin to speak other languages, what they end up doing is they speak one of these people's languages. Because here's why. Because each of these people, wherever they're from, they would have known certain languages. They would have known Aramaic. Why? Because that's what Jesus spoke. They would have known Koine Greek because that's what the written language of the time was. They would have known Hebrew because that was what the Old Testament was written in. All three of those are the same. But guess what's unique and different to each of these people? Their native tongue. And so what happens is that as the disciples are filled with the Spirit, they begin to speak in tongues. What they end up doing is that they start sharing uncontrollably, it seems in a sense, about the mighty works of God, but in this language and in that language and in this language and in this language and in this language. And, this language. and it's super confusing and yet incredibly powerful all at the same time. Look at this in this verse, right, in verse 6. And at this sound, right, because the people around hear the sound. It says, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not these who are speaking Galileans? These are just simple farmers, tax collectors. They've never lived anywhere other than right here. How are they speaking this language? That's the Holy Spirit, that's what he does. It's a Kickstarter for the church. And it's a miracle moment that these people hear the gospel in their own native tongue. Check this out. These are the different places represented. How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Everybody. We hear them telling In our own tongues, the mighty works of God. It's an incredible, incredible, and incredible moment that we see right here. And so what we're finding is that what, what was accomplished in Jesus, right, you have his life, you have his death, you have his resurrection, everything, all of the necessary components for salvation, and then all of a sudden, in this miracle moment, 3,000 people who happen to be in Jerusalem for Pentecost hear the gospel, and guess what? Shocker, many of them believe Here's the cool part. Here's the cool part. Because once Pentecost is over, where do they go? I left the other one over there. They go back home. They go back home. All the way back over to Rome, all the way back down to Libya, down to Egypt, and everywhere else. Mesopotamia, Cappadocia. You see, We like to read Acts, and when we read Acts, we tend to focus on the core people. We look at Peter, we look at Paul, we look at Stephen, we look at uh, Timothy and Titus and Barnabas. We look at all these guys, we go, there's your Magnificent Seven. Forget the other Western movie, these guys, this is it, this is who God worked through. And yet what we miss and forget is that the book of Acts... Begins with 3,000 people, untold, unrecorded stories, but who are going back into the world. What starts right here begins to go there and begins to go everywhere. And we begin to see and experience and feel that this is like this theological gospel comet that ripples out into the world like dropping a rock in water. And it... Goes and goes and goes and it goes. Uh, just yesterday, I was um, watching uh, the Husker game, <clears throat> collective size. Uh, um. So for us as Husker fans, we haven't gotten to see uh, winning seasons like some of you may be used to, um, unfortunately. Um, And so yesterday, as I was watching, we were playing Oklahoma as the number six rated team in the nation, and uh, they came onto the field, they got the ball first, and our defense just stopped them, just... 3 3 down and out they punted we get it first down first down first down second down first down touchdown nebraska leads and no joke after last week i was decimated this week i was like it's a miracle we're going to beat oklahoma this is going to be so good 49 unanswered points later we realized that we were a group of people (laughs) who continue to have hopes that something amazing will happen, but it never does. Here's the point. When I look at the stadium, Nebraska, if you don't know this, Nebraska, well at least it does now and it may not in the future, has the longest sellout history in all of NCAA football. All of our tickets are continuously sold out. 85,600 people at the game waiting and wanting the Huskers to win. Here's, what, here's, what, here's the point, is that for 85,600 people, what we're doing is creating expectation for the 11 guys on the field. And I think that sometimes in life, we do this with church. We look at Peter and Paul and pastors key leaders, and we say, man, we're leaning on you. We're expecting for something amazing to happen, but we're leaning on you. When I think about the Husker game, I'm like, what if we change the rules? What if the rules were you can come to us and you can bring your best 11 people? Great, whatever. But we get 85,600 people on the field. Can you imagine? But it changes it, doesn't it? Because instead of leaning into somebody else, it says, this is my team, and I'm going to do something. And we're no longer people who are just sitting on the plane. We say, I'm ready, God, to do what you want to do, both in me and through me. And so when I think about this, as we finish, as we wrap up here, as I think about this, right, you the promise that's been received, the Holy Spirit, if you have placed your faith in Christ and, 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 and you have that as a part of your story, right, you have in that moment the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. The question is for each of us is that as the plan unfolds, whatever that plan is, does your desire line up with the plan that God unfolds? Because you have the power of the Holy Spirit, but is your desire in line with whatever God is doing and however he is leading? Because as the plan unfolds, we need to expect the unexpected. We wanna see him do great and amazing things. I wanna give you three quick things as we leave, as we finish three posture shifts. First one is this. We need a shift from chapter one to chapter two. We need a shift from witnessing to witnesses because that was all about Jesus. You follow Jesus, you watch him, you're witnessing Jesus, but as he departs and as I embark and embrace in this new role of the church, we realize it's not up to Jesus, it's up to us and the Holy Spirit. Second one, we need to shift from members to missionaries. See, it's not, it's not just I belong to a church. It's not just I belong to Salem and then I'm a part of Salem, right? Whether I'm a member or tender, it's not just that. It's that I consider my membership, my attendance to be a missionary where I go, where I live, and where I work and where I play. And the last one is this from attraction to incarnation. You see, here at Salem, we're not about building the biggest and greatest, most amazing church you'll ever find. But what we are is a launching pad to train and help and equip you to go where God has called you to be. And the last thing is this, guys. If you want to simplify this down to the end, uh, being a witness is about talking about what you love and what do you love most. Yesterday was Nikki and I celebrated 11. Well, celebrate is a strong word. Yesterday, Nikki and I had our 11-year anniversary. Um, and uh, there, there you go. Um, And I tell you what, I can tell you all about the things that I love about my wife and that I love about our family and that I love about our job and I love about all that, right? And Nikki is the highest. Nikki and Eden are the highest on those lists. As much as I love you guys, sorry, but they're higher. But guess what? There's somebody more, and that's Jesus. Who do you love most? What do you love most? Because being a witness at the very simplest is talking about what you love. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for this morning. Lord, as we wrap up with this final song, as you send us out into the world, Lord, I pray that you would create in our hearts a sense of Expectation and expectancy to expect the unexpected as we see the plan beginning on, to unfold, or maybe we're still in this waiting period, going, "God, what are you up to?" And that's in our own lives, my life, in their lives, and collectively as a church, we want we want to we want to be a part of something bigger, and we know how great and big and how amazing the gospel is, and how reassuring and comforting it is for each of us as it as it. Is it compels us in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our pain, whatever it is, that we can point each other to Christ and remind us of the love that we have in you and how great that that is. That, that starts right here. But Lord, would you continue? to drop that stone in the water and to create the ripple effect that when we leave this place, as we go back into the world, that you use us as witnesses to point the world to Jesus. Because God, we don't know what you're up to, but we know what we can be a part of. Lord, we love you, and you're going to pray. Amen.